Election College, episode 174, Gouverneur Morris. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, it almost pains me to try to pronounce Governor Morris's name. It pains me even more to talk about how he died. Let's just get into it. So for many <laughs> of us, we don't even know who Gouverneur Morris is, was anything, because he's probably one of the founding fathers who is not ever going to have a musical written about him, even though he could probably write a musical. And um, I don't think anything else needs to be said. That's it. That's the whole episode. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) Okay, he was born in New York City back in January of 1752. And uh, his first name, we're not the only ones who think it's weird or it's hard to pronounce. We're saying, what, Gouverneur? And it's actually, you know, it's kind of derived from his mother's maiden name. And she was from a family of Huguenots that had moved to Holland and then they moved to New Amsterdam and then to New York city eventually. And uh, Abigail Adams, who apparently, you know, was an expert says, yeah, his first name is pronounced governor, but there's this, this city that he, uh, or maybe like a little town that he helped found and they pronounced the city's name governor. So we're just going to, we'll probably interchange it at points here throughout the episode and call call him different things. But whatever you need to know, just know that when you look at the way his name is spelled, you just feel like he was probably a really cool guy. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. The, and the difficult thing about this too, is we could totally pass it off as like, or we always talk about people according to their last name, right? But there are like 50 Morrises who either signed the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, not the Constitution, but you know what I mean. There, there were a lot of Morrises around. So mm. just bear with us. And, and another thing that you need to know is that one of his half-brothers' names was Stats, S-T-A-A-T-S. <laughs> so I have to just think that somebody, you know, was thinking, I'm going to mess with people. Yeah. 200 years later. Uh, yeah, for sure. They were specifically thinking about the Election College podcast. And a couple of cousins. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of family, though, he had he had Lewis Morris, who uh, ended up being a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He had another half-brother named Stats, as you mentioned, who not only did he not sign the Declaration of Independence, he was a loyalist, and he was a major general in the British Army during the American Revolution. He had some other, uh, I guess you could say, notable family. Uh, His nephew was Louis Richard Morris, who served in the Vermont legislature and the U.S. Congress. And his grandnephew, which is, again, I said this last episode, but that's an interesting name for a... It's just funny to think grandnephew. I mean, 
whatever. It seems so distant, doesn't it? It does, even though it's really not that far off. But like your dad is my kid's, or my kid is your dad's grandnephew. Oh, yeah. That's kind of weird to think about. It is weird. Anyway, his name is William Meredith, and he was the United States Secretary of Treasury during the term of Zachary Taylor. So uh, all that was really just for fun to tell you most of those things. Now back into his life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he's doing his thing. He goes to Columbia University. Well, it was then known as King's College. Uh, He goes there at the age of 12. He graduates, gets a master's degree. He studies law and is admitted to the bar in 1775. And it was around this time that he gets elected to represent his family in southern Westchester County in the New York Provincial Congress. And as he was there in Congress serving, they were thinking, hey, we need to turn this colony into an independent state because the Redcoats are coming, right? So he is the strong advocate for the independence of the colonies. And his family is like, um, pardon me, governor, 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 whatever your name whatever is. Whatever we named you. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like you should be a loyalist. We're loyalists. Come on. Even his mentor, William Smith, uh, was like, no, thank you, dude. You need to stay loyal to the crown. And Gouverneur was like, nope. So he continues to serve in his role um, as a state representative or state legislator. And he was also a member of the New York State Assembly after independence in 1777. So what else you need to know about this whole revolutionary time was that his family's estate was located across the Harlem River from Manhattan. The British seized that property and his mother gave the estate to the British for military use. So, wow. Um, If they would have had Thanksgiving, that would have been awkward. Yeah, thanks, Mom. (laughs) So, yeah, Gouverneur, Gouverneur, whatever, Morris is appointed as a delegate to the Continental Congress. And that starts in January of 1778. And then he gets there and they're like, all right, man, uh, you're on this committee over here. We're going to talk about trying to get rid of George Washington and all that kind of stuff. Cool? Cool. He had borne witness to... Uh, the army and some of their situations they were in. Uh, he he saw the army at Valley Forge, and he, he just gets so appalled by the conditions there that he becomes a spokesman for the the army and Congress and kind of an advocate for them. Uh, he helps, you know, get all sorts of reforms and financing and training and all that kind of stuff going for them. And then in 1778, later that year, he is a signer of the Articles of Confederation. Now, we haven't quite done uh, that same year. There, were, there was something called the Conway Cabal, and we haven't quite done an episode on that yet. We've mentioned it in probably three or four, maybe even six episodes, uh, just briefly, but we're going to do an episode at some point in the future, I think, on it. Anyway, there, there are members of the Continental Congress who don't like George Washington, and they want to put a vote of no confidence, which would uh, basically court-martial Washington and 
get rid of him as commander in chief of the Continental Army, which, you know, looking back now, it's like, wow, that could have drastically changed how our country is. Like everything from, oh, yeah, he's on our money and he was our first president to the fact that he kind of set the precedent for the two term uh, limit that we have in place. Like think about how much that could have changed things. Anyway, all that to say Morris uh, actually was the one who cast the tie breaking votes in favor of keeping George Washington as commander in chief. So we have actually uh gouverneur Morris to thank for George Washington. Yeah. So to show you what kind of things that he got at the time, he was running for reelection to Congress and he was very much a Federalist, and his New Yorker friends, well, decided to turn on him and break with him. So he, he loses uh, re-election in 1779. So what do you do when you lose? You move to a different state, right? I mean, that doesn't makes make sense. sense. Yeah. So he... Pack your bags and move away. Exactly. He heads over to Philly and he works as a lawyer as well as a merchant. So in 1780, Morris is involved in a carriage accident where his left leg was amputated below the knee. This happened in Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, he gets exempted from having to serve in any further military service. And then a year later, he was appointed as the assistant superintendent of finance, and he was the Pennsylvania delegate, or a Pennsylvania delegate, to the Constitutional Convention in 1787. And as you can imagine, because of the previous alliance he had with George Washington, he was a strong ally uh, for Washington during this time. So Morris gets elected to serve on a committee of five and they draft the final language of the proposed constitution. Pretty cool. He was actually considered the person who was responsible for writing most of this draft and uh, publishing it in its final form. So uh, you could say he was the author of the constitution even though, you know, maybe not actually literally the author of the Constitution, but uh, he was on the committee for sure and had a lot to do with it. Morris uh, was not a fan, though, of everyone having the right to vote or being allowed to vote. Uh, he thought that people who, you know, were not aristocracy uh, shouldn't have the ability to vote or self-govern because, hey, uh, poor people are going to sell their votes to rich people. And therefore, if you don't have property you shouldn't be allowed to vote. So I guess in theory, that makes sense. Uh, you know, it, I think it would be really tempting if you needed money. Sure, I'll vote whichever way you right. want me to for a week's worth of pay or whatever would be the case. But um, I hope we're not giving anybody any ideas. I doubt many people who are capable of making those types of, uh, those types <laughs> of national decisions are listening to our podcast in mass. So we're probably good. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, well, just indulge us for a few moments because you're really not going to like Morris very much. And then all of a sudden you'll soften up to him because <laughs> he was very much against letting these new states that were going to be coming on board have an equal standing 
with the original 13. He thought that the interior wilderness of, of North America could not furnish, quote, enlightened national statesmen. So he was very much of the opinion that uh, the aristocracy really was a good thing and that he was perfectly okay with having some sort of uh, hoity-toity society that these few people get to run the show while um, these rugged Westerners, they, they don't have a say because they're just not very intelligent. And he also said, quote, the busy haunts of men, not the remote wilderness, was the proper school of political talents. If the Western people get the power into their hands, they will ruin the Atlantic interests. So, yeah, if you're not living in one of the original 13 states, Morris is probably not your friend. Now, if you're against slavery, he is your friend because he was one of the few people at the convention, at the Philly convention, who spoke out against slavery. And we have James Madison to credit uh, because he took extensive notes at the convention and said that Morris was extremely open about his hatred of slavery. He said that it was incongruous to say that a slave was both man and property at the same time. Yeah, so there's a lot that he said, but one key point that I'd like to point out, he said, quote, Upon what principle is it that the slaves shall be computed in the representation? Are they men? Then make them citizens and let them vote. Are they property? Why then is no other property included? The houses in Philadelphia are worth far more than all the wretched slaves which cover the rice swamps of South Carolina. So um, pretty bold, especially for that time when uh, it was still, there are many issues I could compare it to today, but none of them would do it justice. But basically, you've got about half the people thinking it was a totally okay, and half the people thinking it was downright despicable. Uh, to have slavery and to, to treat people differently. So um, a kind of a, not maybe not a forerunner and maybe not one of the first people to be against slavery openly, but a, certainly an influential one. So in 1789, he goes to France on business and he goes there and has a bunch of flings with the ladies. And he was very sympathetic to the royal establishment. He uh, was very sympathetic to um, Marie Antoinette. And, uh, you know, TJ is over there, and he's all about the revolution. So you got a little bit of disagreement there. He uh, had these uh, opinions that you know, the people in France were not like the people in North America, that a Republican form of government would not suit the French. So something I never thought about that an American would look at what was happening in France and think that, no, they can't handle it. Uh, We Americans can handle this kind of government, but no, if you're used to having a monarch, that's pretty much the way things need to be for you. So in 1798, he comes back to the United States. He was elected as a United States Senator, of course, as a Federalist. And he served for three years because he lost the election in 1803. After he leaves the Senate, not by his own uh, 
desire, but because he was defeated. He served as the chairman of the Erie Canal Commission from 1810 to 1813. And the Erie Canal, you know, it really helps New York City become the capital, the financial capital at least, that it is or was and still is. He he was part of a, a, a number of influential and successful societies and uh, yeah, continued to be a, a respected member of the population. So in 1809, a couple of years before what we were just talking about, uh, he is 57 years old. He marries a woman named Anne Nancy Randolph, or Nancy was one of her nicknames, and she was only 35 years old. She had kind of a a weird past. There was the possibility that in the past she had been accused of murdering a newborn baby and having an affair with a man and uh, all sorts of crazy stuff happened with her, but apparently uh, Gouverneur did not mind that. And so he still married her and they uh, lived a pretty happy life, had a really happy marriage, it seems, had a son and, well, you know, nothing ever happened that was kind of crazy again in the future. So maybe it was just rumor. Maybe it was true. We'll never know. But either way, they liked being married. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, unfortunately, in late 1816, Gouverneur has some pain going on, and he attempts to clear a blockage in his urinary tract. I can't imagine, or maybe I can imagine, what was going on there, but he decided to use a piece of whalebone as a catheter, and what you need to know is that this causes an infection and he dies as a result. It's a family podcast, but ouch. Yeah. I'd say he was in some serious pain to do what he had to do, which did not alleviate apparently. So, so let's uh, just take this moment to appreciate 2017. Absolutely. Just a moment. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you God for making me on this planet at this time <laughs> in history. Thank For you. Real. Also, flushing toilets. That's a good one that, that's around right now, too. I like that one. Yeah. But especially, especially yeah. modern medicine. <laughs> yes. Just just relish this moment right now. Okay. Ugh. I'm still in awe. Wow. So, speaking of 2017 being an amazing time to be alive, we've got the internet. And on the internet, you can download cool things like podcasts for free, just like this one. And there's also a cool way to support podcasts that you listen to. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can help support Election College. If you head over to our Patreon page, which is electioncollege.com slash Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, or patreon.com slash Election College, I won't spell that for you. You can find out how you can support the podcast. Look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now uh, in a time where we don't have to use whale bones as catheters and also where we have the subscribe button. Most of you are listening to us through a podcast catcher or iTunes or an app or something on your phone. There's a button that says subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, do it. 
That way you get us right on your phone. You can even set it to not like automatically download if you're worried about us taking up all your space. But anyway, uh, more importantly, go leave us a review. You can follow the link electioncollege.com slash review and it will take you directly into iTunes. Please, even if you're not an iTunes user, if you don't listen to us through iTunes, that does seem to be the hub of where all the podcast people hang out, throwing cool parties and stuff. And we would love to get your rating and review there. It makes us very happy. Yeah, and don't forget to interact with us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Election College. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.